Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dobb. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, the podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, get a chance to explore anything that ended up on the cutting room floor. We are excited. We're back after a week off. Last week, the youth did a terrific job on Youth Sunday. It was always, uh, it's always good to hear from them, but we did not get any of our seniors here for a podcast about that. Not. Oh, and juniors and Table of Grace. Yeah. So we are starting our new sermon series this week. Mm-hmm. A sermon that you preached as well. I did. In Table of Grace. I did. And the sermon series is called Faith Matters with a question mark. Yep. And we're going to be in the book of Acts for the, uh, these five weeks and uh, got some great stories in, in Acts. Yeah. we. I think it's going to be a great, great series. And I love that. Each week we're kind of highlighting a theologian. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been fun. And we're trying to do get some diversity in theologians. Mm-hmm. So they're not all... I mean, old white guys. Yeah, I can say that. I'm, 50, yeah. I'm halfway to. I'm halfway to old. <laughs> halfway? Uh, just halfway. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Keep telling yourself that. I'm just kidding. Um, well, the, uh, your first question is related to age, so you yeah. might as well jump in there. Yeah. So you open your sermon with nerdy statistics. Uh, no. <laughs> these are, I don't think these are nerdy. I think these are like relevant. Yeah, they're not nerdy. They're yeah. really not. Um, with a Gallup poll and um. So I feel personally attacked when you talk about the millennials. And millennials, Don't millennials always feel personally attacked. About they something? do. Gosh, that our religious affiliation went down to thirty six percent, which is quite a drop from yeah. compared to the others. So just for precision purposes, yeah. so this is the percentage of Americans who consider themselves to be members of a church, synagogue, or mosque. So that doesn't necessarily mean. I mean, there's there's a bigger number than the ones that we that were reported there that are maybe tangentially involved in a church or occasionally involved in a church or consider themselves spiritual. I mean, there's all kinds of language around that. This is specifically talking about people who consider themselves to be members, mm-hmm. and that's um, a relevant statistic. And it's related because, like, all the indicators are following these same trends: giving, attendance, self-identification. The percentage of Americans who, here's the headline, if you didn't hear the sermon. So for the first time since Gallup has been asking this question, and the first time they asked it was in 1937, the number of, a number of Americans who consider themselves to be members of a church, synagogue, or mosque dropped below 50% for the first time. So the first time they asked that question was in 1937. The answer was 73%. Of course, back then it was the vast majority Christian. Right. Um, that number stayed consistent for 60 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the composition changed, right? We've become more um, multi-ethnic and more multi-multi-racial, uh, sure, but also multi-religious. Like yeah. we're, there's a plurality of uh, religions. Pluralism's a thing, but th- that number stayed was still seventy percent by the late nineties. Yeah. So since the turn of the century, it's dropped off precipitously to to it, when it's now forty-seven percent, and yeah. it's correlated to age and i didn't get into the geographic um breakdown uh, that's not really 
I didn't take a deep dive on that side of the data because I think the overall headline is reflective of where we are. Mm-hmm. And as you noted, millennials yeah. are last. We're last. <laughs> but it is directly correlated to age. Mm-hmm. So if you're born before 1946, so that's pre-boomer, the generation's pre-boomer, and that's obviously there's fewer and fewer of those pre-boomer generations, but I think the number was 66%. See, is that right? Yeah. And then for boomers, it drops to 58% for Gen X, which will someday be referred to as the greatest generation. It's 50%. Uh, <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> and then for hypersensitive millennials, it's 36%. <laughs> and then I... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then the my and I kind of tied it in. We you know we we confirmed 30 youth last Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's entirely to be determined <laughs> what right. their connection will be. What mm-hmm. generation is that? Uh, generation Fortnite is what <laughs> my husband calls them. <laughs> my ki- I, we don't let our kids play Fortnite, by the way. That's a whole separate discussion. You know. So the the premise then of setting the whole sermon series up with that data is that we're at this moment where. It's probably good that we're clear on what we're <laughs> what we're preaching. Mm-hmm. We can't make assumptions anymore. Yeah, there are case, there are families in this church that are multi generational, where the parents and the grandparents and the kids all attend together, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. In more rural settings, that's more common, but it's a rarity. And so that you know, the church can no longer just assume that that kids are going to wind up in the same denomination, let alone congregation, that their parents raised them in. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, and kind of Ashley brought this up, do you think people maybe um, have still maybe a relationship with God, but just aren't actually showing up as like a member, a formal member, or what do you think? So there's an important distinction here. Clearly, I don't think that you have to be a member of a church to have a relationship with God. I don't believe that. But I do believe that from the first century on, (laughs) a, a community of faith has been an important part of the Christian religious experience. And there's a whole bunch of good reasons for that. Um, none of them having to do with institutional maintenance. You know, this isn't about whether or not the, what the United Methodist Church is going to look like after the next general conference. That's a whole separate set of discussions and podcasts. This is about how we are, like the way in which we're preaching the gospel, uh, why people aren't feeling a connection to the church. I think no small part of that's our own fault. Mm-hmm. I think we got to work through that. Um, but I, I, you know, in the Christian tradition anyway, and I'm pretty sure our Muslim friends would say the same thing, and I'm pretty sure our Jewish friends would say the same thing. The community is, the local congregation, mosque, synagogue, is just an essential component of what it means to be faithful mm-hmm. in those traditions. Yeah. doesn't That doesn't equate the church with God in any way. But biblically speaking... The church is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We don't always act like it. <laughs> and we forget and we lose sight of the right of the things we really should be focused on. But, and by the way, that's probably part of the decline, <laughs> decline in the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, since we're in Acts, you know, this is the, the birth of the church. So things are really starting to rock and roll, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and so we see the disciples going and meeting people and, and really proclaiming the gospel and that Christ is Lord and all this. And so do you feel like we're kind of this Gallup poll seeing that there's a lot of people to reach? Cause I mean, that's how you, yeah. I mean, you framed it like, yeah. it looks like we, you know, we've got good work to do. <laughs> I mean, 
Right, exactly. I, I remember in Henrietta, <laughs> the pushback that I would get from some congregation members about evangelism efforts is that everyone was already in a church. <laughs> like, and you're like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> I mean, there was in a town of 3,000, that's, that's very much not it's consistent with these statistics. That's mm-hmm. probably largely true, mm-hmm. right? Or certainly more so sure. than Dallas. Yes. <laughs> right? And Plano, I think, I made the point in the sermon too, I think the numbers are going to be higher in Plano. I mean, we have a very vibrant Jewish community, a very vibrant Muslim community, and we've got churches in every corner, including three of three very significantly large United Methodist churches. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, oh. I lost my train of thought. Oh, no. Just talking about how I feel like I can see ourselves in where Peter was at yeah. this time because yeah, yeah. there's all these people that don't, that don't yeah. know. Yes, exactly. Thank you. There's plenty of people to reach. Yeah. That's my point. So you can't reach them just by saying, hey, we're a United Methodist Church with awesome programs. Uh-huh. My premise. You got to reach them with the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> so being clear about what the gospel is is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, an important, important sermon series. Okay. So we're, uh, your text was Acts 10, 34 through 48. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really important to talk about what happens before, which is always good to read yeah, before yeah, yeah, scripture. Sure. So can you tell us what, what happened? Who's, who's the characters, what's involved, what mm-hmm. happens to make Peter start in first 34 talking about how like God doesn't show favoritism. Yeah. Essentially. So, the major question for the early church, the major question for the early church was, who are we trying to reach? <laughs> because Jewish, you know, Jesus was a Jew, Jewish rabbi, clearly. And the Gospels are clear that his vision was bigger than his own community, but that's who he was socially and historically. And it's all of his followers were that. Mm-hmm. That's all they knew. And so the early church began as an outreach, not an outreach, it began as an insider movement within the Jewish community of people who were convinced that this thing that everyone was expecting, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. this person everyone was expecting, had actually come. And so it's interesting in the early chapters of Acts, you get a whole lot of interaction with uh, Jewish religious leaders. Peter's first sermon after Pentecost is all about how this is what God promised in the Old Testament, which is relevant really for the Jewish community, not Mm -hmm. At the time, not so much for Gentiles because they didn't have any frame of reference. Yeah. And so um, a couple things happened immediately preceding where we are in chapter 10. And one is the cons- conversion of, of Paul, Saul, um, who ultimately becomes the main figure in the outreach to the Gentiles in the early church. But that hasn't happened yet. Okay. So Peter... Um, both in Acts and in Paul's own writings, Peter is kind of presented as the old guard, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the guy who um, who wants to stick to the old ways, and it, and he has a hard t- and the old ways meaning follow the law. Yeah, and we can draw all kinds of parallels right to where we are. So we've been following the law for centuries. What do you mean we don't have to follow the law? That's insane. That's what we do. The Messiah was one who followed the law. How can these newcomers find, they want to join, get on the train, fine. But they've got to follow the law. Give me yeah, a, they got to convert to our, they to our ways. Convert. 
they got to be circumcised. They got to follow dietary laws. And there's this really intense debate early in the church about that. And so in, in um, chapter 10, uh, the narrative is pretty brilliant. So the author of Acts is also the author of Luke, and Luke is our best storyteller. If nobody's, if the people listening have not read the book of Acts, it is worth your time. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. Um, so chapter 10 is about a Roman centurion named Cornelius who gets a vision um, and uh, the vision says, go send for Peter and Peter will basically bring you into the household of God. Right after Cornelius gets his vision, Peter gets a vision, this weird vision about a, like a, a sheet with food and the message in the vision is basically, don't worry about the dietary loss. <laughs> I'm doing uh-huh. a new thing. Yep. And that sounds like a very minor point to us. Uh-huh. Right? We eat cheeseburgers all the time. Uh-huh. Bacon cheeseburgers. Yeah. Like, but this, <laughs> we just cannot overestimate how radical that would be to mm-hmm. tell this Jewish man leading a Jewish movement, trying to reach Jews, convincing them that Jesus is the Messiah, that he doesn't have to follow all those rules he used to follow. That's, that's insane. So uh, right after this, he meets with Cornelius um, and it's in the context of his of his interaction with Cornelius and on the heels of this vision from God about the dietary laws that he has his epiphany, his revelation mm-hmm. that that God is doing something bigger yeah. than he could have imagined. And so that reading begins, and it's fascinating. This is a recommended text for Easter Day. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's the it, the way the lectionary is set up. You've got the gospel readings, but you also have an Old Testament psalm and a New Testament epistle. Well, in the Easter season, beginning on Easter Sunday, the, all the Old Testament readings are replaced by Acts because it's the story of the early church. And this is the one for Easter Day. Um, and the like the first section that I read in the sermon was through verse 30, 43. So, so 34 to 43, that's the Easter day rec, uh, recommended reading. And then the, the last part that I read 44 to 48, which kind of ends that chapter and ends that part of the story is recommended for like Easter five or something. So okay. they're both lectionary, but I just combined them. So the, like when Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. What is implied there is I truly understand now <laughs> that mm-hmm. God shows no partiality that you do not in fact like there's more than one way to get to God. Mm-hmm. Now for us, it's through Christ clearly. Yes. But these, but the, uh, it's okay to rethink these old practices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Don't, I mean, don't you think that Peter had been kind of conditioned to have a certain opinion about, you know, Romans, you know, especially like Gentiles, like, so, you know, and yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. the Romans were the bad guys, right? And so he's got to go to this, talk to this Roman guy who has, you know, has had some power, I guess. Certainly, and, has, certainly has power, right? And so it's uh, the po- the same power that killed Jesus, exactly. The same so, power that would kill him, correct? And so he, that had to be very jarring for Peter. And so I have, you know, I love Peter. I love Peter. Peter's awesome. Peter's every one of us. Yes, and so I love that. You know, he. He had um, in his mind how this person would be, had a lot of uh, judgments, a lot of assumptions, you know, about um, this, you know, him, Cornelius, you know, representing this people group of power and the other. There's a lot of fear of the other, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, But how does, how do 
what's Cornelius is like, um, how does he show up in the story? It's a funny name, by the way. I know Cornelius Fudge, right? Uh, Cornelius Fudge. You're talking about from Harry Potter. From Harry Potter. Yeah. But then there's also there's another very, very famous Cornelius. Oh yeah. He's got a Christmas connection. Do you know what I'm talking about? Ashley, you nodding yes. Do you really know, or are you just humoring me? <laughs> I think so. The Yukon Cornelius from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the one who tamed the Bumble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All comes back to Christmas. It well, or Harry Potter. Yeah. So Cornelius is presented in a very favorable way. Mm-hmm. So it's probably easy for the reader to overlook what you just outlined. Yeah. Which is that, I mean, we're not talking about that long, a few weeks after Jesus was murdered. Right. By the Roman, it's, by Romans, by right. Roman soldiers who were, who were, you know, may, very well may have worked for Cornelius. Yeah. It's a fresh wound. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so this, his realization do you do that in your sermon, by the way? You talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I kind of uh, talk about how, it, you know, Peter really had to unlearn this narrative that had mm-hmm. been spoken to him mm-hmm. since he was a kid of, you know, of the mm-hmm. other side and the people. I like that. And so. Huh. See, because I went more with, there's so much to unpack in the story. Yes. I went more with the law. Yeah. And rethinking, um, like being being locked into old ways of thinking mm-hmm. um, in terms of religiosity. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Culturally, <laughs> it's just as much of a, of a, of a, like it can only be the Holy Spirit moving Peter to realize yeah. that, huh, even these guys mm-hmm. can be part of the family. Right. And I think we mm-hmm. can all relate to that, that the way we all have people in mind that we think, I'm not going to get talk to them. Mm-hmm. They don't no, belong yeah. at the table. <laughs> 100%. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we may not articulate it quite that way, Yeah, but we certainly wouldn't want to sit next to them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about the theologian that you highlighted. Why mm-hmm. did you... Uh, why this theologian? Yeah, so we went around and around and around, you, me, and Stephanie, about which theologians to highlight throughout the series. I mean, there were a couple that were clear no-brainers. Um, so James Cone, we're talking about in a couple of weeks with the, the cross. We, we're going to end with Francis and Claire about the whole concept of being in mission. I, I love Francis. I've read a lot of Francis. Um, Stephanie has found a couple of uh, women theologians, mm-hmm. more contemporary. Yeah. Next week, we're going to talk about those. So we we originally had thought about Augustine for next week, sin. Like, he's kind of the original sin guy. Mm-hmm. But then... The theologians that that Stephanie found seem to be a better fit for that week too. Kind of unpacking the story of the fall from a, a feminist perspective, yeah, which is healthy. So then I thought, well, then we said, well, right, we'll who we'll does move Augustine to the first week? Because he's like, even though he's m- known more for the concept of original sin, he begins with original righteousness, and we're made in the image and likeness of God. But then, as I was digging, I, I was doing this Holy Week. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find really what I was looking for, for on Augustine that would be like part of the challenge is to succinctly summarize his theology right. in not exactly sound bites, but close to it uh, in, a, in the midst of a 20 minute sermon. Yeah. And I couldn't get there with Augustine. So um, I have a book called God Seekers, which is terrific. It's called uh, God Seekers, 20 centuries of Christian spirituality, Christian spiritualities, plural. And the first 
theologian highlighted there is the first theologian of the church, Irenaeus. And, I, and Irenaeus had, uh, has this great phrase, this concept of divinization, like the, what the, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ is God's way of recapitulating a fallen creation. Mm-hmm. And the way he puts it is um, he became uh, what we are, so entered into the human condition, mm-hmm. so that we could become what he is. Yeah. <laughs> This concept that the, the divine spark within us is so deeply embedded, it's so uh, essential to who we are that we can become godlike, but not in kind of a superhero power way. Yeah. Right? Um, and this is all about the, the concept of the incarnation. And so for Irenaeus, the incarnation is for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because all of us are human and Correct. and that became our our emphasis on our common humanity. Yeah. Did you know how to spell his name or did you have to keep looking at it every time you typed it like I did? <laughs> Literally every time I typed it cuz I, I could, like the a-, a and the e are yes. weird at the back end there. And pronouncing it ain't easy either. No. I mean it's pronounced Irenaeus but you like you would read it and say Irenaeus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky names. Mm-hmm. My favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so I just w- I want to make sure you're you're clear. So who has that divine spark? Who has the image of God? All of us. All of us. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. Uh huh. And so in in the context of Acts, even Cornelius, mm-hmm. even the big bad Romans, yeah, are created in the image and likeness of God. And so we take a turn at the end of the sermon, where I name some of the differences, and like we have to be really clear. Like <clears throat> I, there was a there was a first draft. <laughs> That, that I changed very late. And I changed it very late because it it came across as too judgy yeah. <laughs> about, like I, I think our church, um, our congregation, I'm talking about, uh, has consistently and intentionally identified ourselves as a big tent church. Like we have very liberal people here. We have very conservative people here. We have uh, gay and lesbian Christians. We have straight Christians. And whatever else is going on in the exterior, like at the broader church, we're trying to be a microcosm of a community where everyone's welcome. Mm-hmm. And my original draft contrasted that with there are plenty of churches where that's not the case. I mean, there are plenty of churches that kind of are, and by the way, in our own tradition, so I'm not just throwing rocks at Baptists or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but where they're kind of like, self-contained communities of everyone who thinks the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I think the extent to which some churches have become openly partisan mm-hmm. turns people off. I think the extent to which people, uh, churches condemn, like spend a whole lot of time condemning this or that, sexuality, for example, turns people off. I mean, I think there's a, I think that for me, and, you know, time will tell, I, I think there's a correlation in some ways, to the decline of people affiliating with churches and the judgmentalism mm-hmm. of our churches. Yeah. So the first draft highlighted that, but it came across in a way that I didn't, like, I'm not trying to say, oh, look at us, we're, we do, we're the best at everything, because I, I mean, I'm not sure everybody's comfortable with mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole concept of, a, well, based on some of the emails I get, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that can be edgy for people. Yeah. So um, I think... The point that the incarnation of God is for all of humanity 
the learning for Peter was that that means even Gentiles. Mm -hmm. To your point in your sermon, it means even Romans, mm -hmm. which, uh, and for us, that means, you know, if you lean left, even the most conservative right wing person yeah. is part mm -hmm. of the club. If you are a conservative, you lean right, the farthest left person is welcome mm -hmm. here as well. And we, and I made the point in the, in the sermon that, uh, that doesn't mean we all have to agree right. <laughs> on the same theologies, the same traditions, whatever. It just means that we're all, we all recognize our common humanity and that mm -hmm. we all are invited to a relationship with God. That's our, that's our starting point. Yeah. And I, and I do not think that every church acts like that. No, no. I mean, I think there is, you know, in this moment when Peter realizes, uh, we got to break down some <laughs> borders or walls. And if, if we really want this message to reach all of the world, you know, Christ gave us very clear commandments to go out. Then that means we're going to encounter people that we don't necessarily agree with a hundred percent, have different ways, different practices, not the exact same beliefs, but that doesn't mean <laughs> we don't speak to them. And so when I think about that Gallup, you know, the, the poll of thinking about like, you know, there's our churches and like, well, why aren't we growing? Why don't we have enough people? Because you've, you've chosen that everyone has to look and think like you mm -hmm. and that you're the chosen, you're the favorite, that you have it all figured out. And we can't think like that because <laughs> right. our churches aren't going to grow. <laughs> well, and I, and to me, the New Testament is a good cautionary, t cautionary tale mm -hmm. <laughs> that in the New Testament, the people who uh, are most convinced they're right are the ones who are the most surprised by what God's doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So in Jesus ministry, it was the religious authorities that totally rejected the possibility that God was doing something new in him. Mm -hmm. The early and then the early church made that same had that same hang up for a while. Yeah. Where they they couldn't like really? Like they don't have to be circumcised, right? I mean that we all had to be circumcised, so why do you, surely yeah. they all have to be. Right. And then Paul turns that whole thinking on his on his head. Mm -hmm. And you know, Paul's theology is so central to Christian theology that we're sympathetic mm -hmm. to Paul. And but Paul, as much of a um, traditionalist, I, I would say, as he could have been, was incredibly innovative in adapting the gospel to new settings. Mm -hmm. One of the stories in Acts where he preaches uh -huh. about the unknown God yeah. at the Areopagus, yeah, like that's pretty, that's pretty innovative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he's reaching them where they are, yeah, giving them the good news and what what. What's required to do that is to be clear about what's essential and to be clear about what's kind of a vehicle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, verse 36 um, talks about how Jesus is Lord of all, which I know you love that. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about, you know, what that means? Do you think we believe that? Do you think that's how we show up in the <laughs> world? What do you think? Um, do we believe that? I mean, all is a very, it's a, it's, that's a pretty comprehensive word. Mm -hmm. So does that mean Jesus is Lord of even those who don't believe in him? Well, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what you got to say if you're going to pass the board. <laughs> <laughs> but then do we act like it? Mm -hmm. Less so. Yeah. Because if we're, if we're all disciples of the same Lord, that really kind of requires that we're pretty generous with each other. Mm -hmm. And pretty hospitable to each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
the problem is that's super inconvenient <laughs> and gets super uncomfortable. Yeah. So that means that um, if Jesus is Lord of all, then you, you got to buckle up for some challenging conversations in your Sunday school class, unless everybody agree, thinks exactly the same way, which is very boring. Mm-hmm. Um, if Jesus is Lord of all, then everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. Doesn't really matter what you think about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So what is the essential? What's the essential? That people agree with you and that um, people do what you think they should do? Mm-hmm. Or is the essential that Jesus is Lord of all? If if the essential, if the starting point, if the if the uh, the, the principle that that trumps all others is that Jesus is Lord of all, then all of all of the ways that I interact with people have to flow from that that truth that I believe. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not how we show up in the world. And so, I, I mean. Oh, at least that's not the, the default way we show up in the world, mm-hmm. right? That's the problem of sin. Yeah. We're, we we kind of get to that next week. I I think we believe it. I just don't think we always take it to its yeah. logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Do you believe it? Oh, uh, Jesus is Lord of yeah. all? Yeah. yeah, but of course. But it's just that, yeah, we don't act like it. We don't show up in the world naturally that way. Um, but something you said that, I always appreciate that you are so good, even though, so you know that you're very opinionated, like you have your like, and I mean that in like the nicest way, like you know what you believe. Uh, Guilty. (laughs) Um, But I love that you are so good at saying, even if people don't agree with you totally or have that like, you know, they're, they're still leaving, they're still living faithful to what, and so I think that's such a good, I have that in my mind when I read this scripture and thinking about how people maybe look different or they're not have the same beliefs or, but they're still living a faithful life. And so I think Peter had to realize like, yeah, Cornelius is going to worship God maybe in a different way, but it's still a faithful way. And so I don't know. Well, and the turning point for the early church is the Jerusalem council and the way, the way Paul tells it in his letters and the way Peter and the way the author of Acts tells it, it's a little, it's different. It's interesting to read those accounts side by side. But they basically meet and and <laughs> they lock themselves in a room and they don't come out until they come up with a an agreement on this. Mm-hmm. And they decide that the vast majority of the law we can set aside. There's a couple of specific things that mm-hmm. they that we end up setting by the wayside eventually. But the big stuff, following the law, is not a requirement for faith. It's not a requirement for faith for for um, to be in a right relationship with God. And the only way that that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, w- leading up to General Conference in, in 2019, they're called General Conference, where we were supposed to resolve mm-hmm. the issue of human sexuality and full inclusion. Your old boss, Stan, mm-hmm. wrote something um, that I thought was really powerful. And I don't know, he may have borrowed it from somewhere. But his, he said, what if everybody showed up <laughs> with the assumption that I might be wrong? Mm-hmm. What if I, like what what if what if everything that I said I qualified with the fact that I might be wrong? There's all there's ult- ultimately only one judge and jury ultimately, uh-huh. right? It's the one we place our faith in. He's the one who's perfect. Yeah, the only perfect one who ever lived. Um, and I think, I think at the, in this moment in Acts, Peter has this realization. Man, this is essential to who I am. But who am I to tell God? 
what to do. Uh-huh. Who am I? Who am I to decide that's right for all of humanity? That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really really powerful. And I just think, um, you know, that's to me that's theological humility, mm-hmm. which which is not inconsistent with deeply held theological conviction. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm assuming Peter always practiced the law. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he didn't start eating bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I mean, he might have. Yeah. But it's so much part of who he is by that point in his life. That's how he shows up in the world. And that's fine. That's what he believes. That's what he's going to practice. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Doesn't mean Cornelius has to do it. Mm-hmm. That's a massive realization. That is a massive turning point that we, I think, I just feel like we underestimate how big, like I, the way I described it in the sermon was that that was a watershed moment in our salvation history. And to me, we're at a watershed moment now where the data is so clear that for 20 years people have been turned off mm-hmm. <laughs> by the church. That's what I that's what that's what I see when I read the data. Yeah. Something we're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. And so um where where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And I think the starting point is getting clear on the essentials. And the essentials one one of the essentials is this is the punchline of the sermon, the end of the sermon, is that everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. We don't all have to agree. We don't all, we don't all have to practice our faith in the same way. Um, but we're all children of God. Jesus is the Lord of all. God shows no partiality. And that is that is something that, to me, is a non-negotiable. Yeah. And it's biblical. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, I feel like you kind of summed it up right there. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, what I, you know, in my sermon prep and, and then listening to yours, um, I definitely want to be more open to, to going and having conversations with people that I've thought, mm, I don't really want to talk to them. Um, I also want to be like Peter where I can say, like you said, maybe I'm wrong to be teachable, to learn, to grow, to change. And even if you, if you change your opinion on something, it doesn't mean you're less faithful, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I don't know. There's just a, it's a really, really good passage. It's, it, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's, it really is. And I think one, I think one of the great gifts of pastoral ministry, um, is especially for, uh, when you get a chance to serve very different churches. If you can show up in those appointments with some theological humility and really, really get to know people and really get to know what it is about their faith that's essential to them um, without trying to convince them of mm-hmm. your way of thinking, um, just kind of deeply listen mm-hmm. <laughs> for how their faith is lived out. I think it gives the gift of that is that it, you realize that there are a whole lot of different ways to be a faithful Christian mm-hmm. and like maybe this is by temperament and maybe it's because maybe it's not cause I am super opinionated, but I, as a, as a committed centrist on most things, what I, what that means for me is that very conservative and very liberal folks are very passionate about their faith and they see things so differently that we can, there's got to be a way that we can all be together without going into our separate silos Yeah. on any issue. I mean, clearly human sexuality is something that's at the top of mind for the church as we start to think about general conference next year. 
But, I mean, we're in the middle of the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I mean, just the scenes this week in Minneapolis are just a replay of last year. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, yeah, so the subject of the, of the column last week as well. Um, I mean, can't we just get to a place based on our common humanity where we realize that the system is fundamentally broken, <laughs> mm-hmm. that cops are put in a position and trained in a certain way that lead to, to, that lead to outcomes that none of us should be happy with. Mm-hmm. And can't we accept the fact that most cops don't go into the, that profession so they can kill civilians? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, surely that, that's just not true. Yeah. So if we, like, we are a very smart nation. <laughs> We've put a person on the moon. We're putting a person on Mars. Like, we've got these technological m- marvels. Like, we can figure this out. We don't want to figure this out <laughs> mm-hmm. because we refuse to see the other side. Yeah. It seems like the human inclination is to dig into our trenches mm-hmm. and refuse to allow for the fact that I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And no less a figure in Christian history than Peter on the thing that meant the most to him modeled for us a way that we can be open to the work of God. So. Yeah. yeah, that sharing in that common humanity and realizing that we all carry that that spark, like you said in the beginning, uh, the image of God, that we really can be connected in a really beautiful way because we were created by this good God. And we got to start seeing the good in people too. <laughs> so... Yeah, good stuff. If nobody's read Acts, highly encourage it. <laughs> At least go through chapter 10. Yeah. Because <clears throat> that, that turning point is, is a pretty important one. All right, so next week, we're still in Acts. Mm-hmm. So if this week's we're talking about our common humanity. Next week, we're talking about our common problem. And we've got, a, uh, I think, a Quaker theologian is yes. the one that Stephanie identified that I, I don't know anything about. So I'm yeah, excited to dig into yeah. that this week. And learn something new. Learning something new is always healthy. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. We appreciate you spending time with us uh, a couple of weeks after Easter. It's always uh, great to be in theological conversations. Reagan, thank you for who you are and how you show up in the world. And we will uh, see you next week. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Offscript. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.